From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and FSU men's basketball is back with the nail-biter over Wake Forest. FSU uh, women's basketball is on a winning streak. And we got a lot more to talk about as we move our way through the rest of this show, including some NBA, NHL, FSU baseball, FSU softball, and maybe even some Champions League soccer. A lot of stuff going on in the sporting world after in life after football. It's a weird thing to say, but we're in the we're in that kind of time of the year again. So, but we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot of people actually on this show today. I like, but as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Austin Reynolds. Austin. How are you feeling about your Hawks lately and their chances tonight against Derrick Rose's uh, Knicks? Lately, I've not been too high on them just because injuries have been really kicking them uh, in the shin so far. They've lost DeAndre Hunter for about seven to ten weeks with a—I uh, uh, I actually forget which which kind of injury—something uh, with his knee, I'm pretty sure. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich signed to be the team's starting shooting guard. He's been gone for a little bit. I ranted and raved about that last week, but Trey Young and John Collins have really been a two-man show with Clint Capella just— being kind of hit or miss at the rim so uh it, it's not been too fun tonight or uh too fun leading up to tonight but against the knicks i have a, a little bit of renewed hope just mm-hmm. a, just a smidge well the heat of uh met them in the standings they're tied right now at the 10 and 11 or 10, 9 and 10 spot right mm-hmm. now so it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of keep up on that race as we move forward throughout the eastern conference but let's keep it moving here we got sebastian angel riano decked out in his Tampa Bay Buccaneers championship gear. He's got the Buccaneers hat, the Tom Brady jersey, the uh, red one. But let's let's talk a little bit about Tom. And uh, what were your thoughts? And do you think he's uh, a disrespectful human being for doing what he did in throwing the Lombardi over the uh, oh, That bay? story about that, the daughter, not even the dude who made it. Uh, the story of that one that came out was such like a non-story of just – it's the lamest thing I've ever heard. Cry me a river, honestly. Or <laughs> cry me a bay, would you? Um, no, that was awesome. That, like the, uh, It's amazing that we got two of them in the same year. But these championship boat parades, I think, have cemented themselves as the trademark of Tampa Bay. They're amazing. Um, that, like Bayshore, or Bayshore Boulevard, all the way up through uh, Riverwalk. That, that's a fun place to be any other time of the year. During a parade, it's awesome. Um, the, the, the toss itself... Uh, Brady to Bronx, or sorry, Brady to Gronk slash Brate, uh, across the uh, across the bay was really really cool. I mean, it, it, it's legendary either way, right? So they either make the catch and it goes down in history like it did, or it sinks to the bottom of the bay for a legendary curse slash like you know moment in history. And so the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defended their bay and what did they do in order for nobody to take that Lombardi trophy away from them? They sunk it to the bottom of the sea. <laughs> Poetic. It it was very funny. It's it's weird to see them do that cuz that stuff never happens obviously cuz there's not too many parades in the water. I mean, the only other time I think where you see boat parades is in Boston for the duck boat parades when they take the duck boats through the Charles and all that. So kind of fitting that Brady gets yeah. a boat another boat parade but and they've done all their Lombardis on a bus right yes they always do they always they always take the bus up in Boston for, mm-hmm. for their chips which they have a lot of I gotta well, add it to them. it's also the duck boats so the duck boats are like big boats oh, that their, also can oh, drive okay. on land they're okay. yeah they're yeah. amphibious vehicles but yeah. still yeah so let's keep it moving we also have the first one of us that's not Sebastian myself or Austin in the studio today we have Matt Povtak in the fish tank we're happy to see 
a fresh face in this station because it feels like we've been going insane with just us three in here. Matt, how, is, how are you doing and how does it feel to be back? Oh, it's great to be back here. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, you guys. And I can tell everyone at home from looking at through this fish tank, looking at y'all, that y'all have the face for radio. Well, that's great because we all have masks on, so it's not like you can really see our faces in general. So great there. But last but not least, we are also joined by V89 uh, rookie Max Rundy. How are you doing, Max? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to the baseball season starting up. Oh, yeah, baseball. We got base, MLB baseball. I think pitchers and catchers report in the next couple of days for a lot of teams. FSU baseball starts this weekend, but we got a lot of stuff moving forward. But let's start off right now with FSU men's basketball. They're actually playing right now as we speak in the Tucker Center a few minutes down the road here, not even a minute. And they're uh, currently losing to Virginia 6-2 to two in the Tucker Center. So not a great start for the Knowles, but that game can, can, could continue to turn around. But they did have their first game back in over about a week and a half as they did have a COVID break. Uh, as they took on Wake Forest in a nail-biting game, a game that a lot of us didn't expect to go this way. FSU got down or got up and down, up and down, and eventually went to overtime thanks to a Scotty Barnes uh, layup with point oh with point one or point oh one left on the mm-hmm. clock as time expired in the second half there for FSU. But FSU was able to kind of pull out and secure a pretty comfy win, 92-85 to against the Demon Deacons. Austin, is that the way you expected this game to go against Wake? That is absolutely not the way that I expected it to go. I mean, we mentioned last week <clears throat> excuse me, that this game could go a whole number of ways. It could be down to the wire like it actually ended up being, or FSU could come out with the same level of intensity that they met NC State with after their first COVID break. So it, it did go the, the former, which wasn't too surprising. I, I wouldn't have put my money on that outcome, but... Uh, just, just to touch on the Scotty Barnes layup to force overtime, I was really confused on that play because FSU still had a timeout left. So I figured once Wake Forest uh, finished up their free throws, I think they went one for two at the line before Scotty Barnes made the, the full court sprint to sink that layup. Uh, I just figured Hamilton would take a timeout, get the ball further up the court a little bit, and then they would run their play from there. But Scotty Barnes just took it upon himself to make the, 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 the play that really cemented FSU's uh, standing in that game and uh, sent it to overtime. So good stuff from the freshman. Yeah, like you said, I did expect also them to take that timeout as they got the rebound off the free throw. Just because you want to settle your guys down, you don't want them to rush the ball. And Scotty Barnes did just that. He rushed the ball down court <laughs> and caught them when they weren't really expecting it. it, literally, it they stacked all the guys on the right side of the court, and Scotty Barnes had almost a free lane to the rim there on the left side. So really good play. I don't know if that was designed or if they just kind of went on their own to a simple ISO kind of situation there. But it was truly a great play for that. But is Scotty Barnes' whole performance, Matt, we'll go over to you now. What did you think of his whole performance? Because he really was quiet that day, except for that last moment of the game. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that he, he really didn't have that great of a game. You know, he didn't take many shots. He, I think he shot four for 12 from the field, uh, which isn't too great for him. He seems to be settling right now, I think, too much times for jump shots or threes where he can you can see he has pure athleticism where he can just drive past these guys and take it to the bucket and finish as he do- he's done so many times at the end of games and clutch moments. So I just think he needs to get more back to just attacking the basket. Yeah, it, that is something that he does need to change up. He has not had the opportunity. He's been taking too many opportunities shooting-wise, and that just doesn't feel like his game at the moment. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, he's still very young. He's 18, 19 years old. He's a freshman here at Florida State. 
so he should have a lot more time to grow. But a lot of people are throwing around the comparison of, oh, he's a Draymond Green kind of like uh, type player where he's good on defense, he can pass the ball pretty well, and he's great driving to the paint. But that's not what he really should be playing as, obviously, as a point guard. Because as a point guard, you should be able to kind of do it all. And obviously, if you don't have a shot, you're kind of, it seems a little bit useless in today's NBA, put it that way. But uh, Max, what did you, did you see anything else out of Scotty Barnes' performance? I'll just say, going off of what uh, Matt was talking about, his, his real reason why I think he's not quite starting fully yet and why he's not proven himself to the extent that I might have expected as such a highly touted prospect would be his shooting splits. And, yeah, he could be taking too many shots, but his free throws is what really scares me. Mm-hmm. For someone who is so amazing at driving downhill and getting straight to the hole like he's done so many times, that man cannot be shooting 56% from the line. He yeah. just can't. Yeah, that's and a very good point that you bring up. As you were saying with uh, calling him Draymond, which I despise that man, oh, man. Um, I would I would say if anyone on our team's like Draymond, it's been Raekwon Gray recently. That guy's been playing his heart out out there. I mean, it's just crazy. All, yeah. all facets of the game, too. Yeah, Raekwon Gray was on fire. I mean, he was ACC Player of the Week, and Scotty Barnes was AC, ACC Freshman of the Week. But, I mean, the whole time he had 24 points, 12 rebounds, a double-double, a nice, easy double-double. I mean, he's one of those guys, once he starts running downhill, good luck stop, Good luck stopping him. He's the Derrick Henry of college basketball. Yeah, he's, he's like 6'8", six, six, 280, I want to say, or 6'8", 260, I want to say. So he's just a massive human being. Uh, when, when he gets in the paint, he is nigh unstoppable, so... It's been really great to see him sort of come into his own these last couple games, especially. Yeah, he's phenomenal to watch him when like he does have that confidence. He's unstoppable because there's sometimes where he's a bit too, uh, he's not as confident to drive through the lane and try and go for a layup where he sometimes either pulls up and tries to attempt a shot or passes it out. But when he feels it, man, he is he's arguably one of the, he could be one of the best players on this team when he's confident. So that's something that you want to see him kind of continue with if you're an FSU fan. But were I mean, were you guys kind of surprised that Scotty Barnes won ACC Freshman of the Week? Because I I kind of was. Let's I, be honest. I very much was because while he had a couple flashy plays, he had the the play to end the first half as well, um, and uh, obviously the the full court drive to send the game to overtime. There was nothing really special about his performance. He made a few free throws in overtime, as that's where most of FSU's points in that period came from. But he was 4 of 12 shooting in the game, so nothing special there. 25%, that's not what we would expect from a five-star caliber player. So I, I, I'm i happy for him, but I just don't think it's really deserved. Yeah, yeah, I agree on that one. But Matt, did you see any weaknesses that either defensively or offensively for this team in this game against Wake Forest that kind of stood out that teams are going to take note of in the film studies going forward as we move closer to March. Definitely. I I can say that. I don't know if it was something in the water, but if you guys watched the game, Wake Forest was just lights out from the three-point line. I think they shot something like over over 40% from three, yep. and it was just like everything they put up was going in. Um, you know, Wake Forest, or, and we've seen other teams do this against FSU too. Uh, 
I forget the other teams, but uh, Clem I think Clemson shot very well. Like every team FSU plays seems just always be lights out from the three point line, and that's definitely starting to show up as a problem for Florida State basketball. Yeah, this has been a huge point of emphasis, really, the past couple shows at least that we've done. That FSU needs to be better on three point defense because they can score with anybody, but usually whatever they sh are shooting from three point range, they're giving that up to the opposing team as well. And that was pretty much exactly the case against Wake Forest. Uh, Florida State shot 48% from the perimeter, uh, from uh, yeah, from the perimeter, and then Wake Forest was 48.1%. So very comparable there. And then it was the uh, the Australian kid. Um, let me find his name real quick. He, he had shot like six threes and eight. Antonio. Eight, eight Antonio. Antonio. Yeah. Yes, he was just killing Florida State from from beyond the arc. That I think was he was ridiculous. seven for eight. Seven. Yes. Of yeah, eight seven for eight, eight in the game. Yeah, that that was the one thing that was that stood out to me too there, but. For FSU, for this game, it felt this felt like one of FSU's kind of worst free throw games in a yeah. while. This 74.3% from the charity stripe. Raekwon was 10 for 10, but then you had some other guys going very, shooting very poorly from that line there. I mean, the next best guy was Malik Osborne, technically, with a 3 for 4. Then you had Scotty Barnes, 5 for 8. And then you had uh, Ngom and Ballard going 2 for 2. So, I mean, not really comparable there, but still. You got you have guys like MJ Walker. MJ Walker went one for four. That's crazy. Free throw wise, that just doesn't happen too often. And when they don't shoot free throws well, they really get exploited and they get into these tight games where it gets a bit nervy. So free throws, I, they're still a huge part for this team. And if they can't shoot them in their own house, I know maybe you don't have the home home court advantage like you usually do, but being able to shoot comfortably in your own gym feels like something that needs to be taken advantage of during these games, especially. When you're playing a game like, or playing a lower quality team like Wake Forest, mm -hmm. or when you're playing Virginia like they are tonight, and they're actually uh, leading right now, 11 to six right now, 13:38 left in the first half. I know they mentioned they were down six to two early on. They've went on a 9-0 run. I believe Virginia has called a timeout, but great play so far from the Knolls there against UVA. They're going to have to stay consistent on that defensive end if they want to take down the Cavaliers because. This is the toughest game of this season. This is yeah. could be the game of the year for the ACC just because you got your two top two teams matching up, and this will be the only time they do in the regular season. So really important game for FSU, especially because it's at home. Yeah, and this is the question I wanted to pose to you guys. Just is that performance against Wake Forest going to have any bearing on this game? And so far it doesn't look like it because FSU is coming out competing with one of the best teams in the country. I believe Virginia's 11-1 in conference, so a lot of people were chalking this up as an FSU loss. So FSU supposedly uh, learning from their mistakes on, on Saturday, learning what they can do to get off to a, a hot start against a really good team. So we'll have to have to keep an eye on that game as it approaches halftime, but super impressive so far. Anthony, and just like you say that, Anthony Polite gets an and one. It's now 14-6. to six. They're really oh. putting it on right now. This is this is huge for FSU to get an early lead. And uh, Max, is there has is how big is this game for FSU? Let's just talk about that because this is huge in my opinion. Well, I mean, first off, it could ruin their long-running ACC home record streak of I think now 23 games. 23, yeah. And that's that's the first big thing. Second-wise, like, secondly, this is just a really big game for them. When it comes to the schedule, they've had a lot of COVID cancellations. They've been tested, but then those teams have gone on and not played so well, kind of like Clemson recently, or at least not keeping up. Virginia, on the, on the other hand, they're, 
the definition of consistency in college basketball. They are always at the top, and they're always doing well, yeah. unless they play UMBC. <laughs> but this would be just a huge game to come back from playing so poorly against such a bad school, really. This is a must-win game, honestly, in my opinion. Well, Matt, how much of that game against Wake do you think was just the simple rust, the rest versus rust debate, where FSU had a few week, had about a week and a half off between their loss to Georgia Tech and that game on Saturday? I mean, how much was it just simple rest? I, th- I think it was. There was some rust at the start of the game because it went back and forth. But at the end of right before halftime, you saw FSU go up by ten, and it looked like they had kind of taken control of the game. And it looked like maybe in the second half they were just going to continue that. But I think they might have stepped, uh, put their foot off. The gas and they allowed Wake for or yeah Wake Forest to slowly come back and man Wake Forest was just lights out from three and I it was I'm surprised they won that game at the end it did not look it did not look good with all the momentum going like Wake Forest's way I think another aspect that uh, hurt this team especially down low in the post for this game was not having Balsa Koprovitsa yes. and I mean yes the FSU still out rebounded Wake Forest in the rebound battle but. Not being able to go to him consistently down low, just a simple dish down there, it really does hurt this team. And so, if he's able to come back, I know it wasn't he. No, he did not have COVID. Uh, he was actually out doing uh, after turning his ankle in shoot around that morning, so he wasn't able to take part in that game against Wake. I believe is he playing right now against? That's, that's what I'm looking. He is not coming in the game. He is not in the game right now against okay. UVA. No, I've seen Ingaman. That is okay. So he's, that's War well, Chance says he's about to check he's in. Coming so. in right now, actually. Yeah. All right. So Good yeah, stuff. there well, you go. So it looks like it sounds like he'll be getting limited minutes tonight against the Cavaliers in the Tucker Center. So that's at least good for this team that he's going to be in there and playing in some capacity. So that's going to be a lot to look out for in this game. We'll keep you with updates throughout this game if you're not already watching on your television or on your phone, computer, whatever you're watching on. Uh, but stay tuned for us because we still got a lot more FSU stuff to go through. We got, I think, let's jump over to women's basketball right now. Staying on the round ball game right now, uh, FSU women's basketball. They like we we mentioned before, their issue has been consistency and just trying to find that, and they're starting to find it right now. They won the winners of their last two. That's called a winning streak, if to <laughs> quote to quote Lou Brown from Major League, but. Uh, they've started to find it. They had a, a 67 to 52 win over Syracuse, and then a 67 to 59 win over the Canes. And FSU has been very, very consistent in Tallahassee this year. I believe they're six and zero in the Tucker Center, so they really do feel comfortable in their home uh, on their home court. But then also getting that win over uh, Syracuse was another huge one because Syracuse is one of the better teams in the ACC at this moment. So being able to take down a top four team like that really does boost their confidence. And I don't know, what did you see out of their week of play, Austin? I saw pretty much the exact same thing. I mean, FSU, uh, we had mentioned a couple weeks ago that when the women played UNC, uh, they held the women, uh, they held the Tar Heels to seven points in the first quarter, which is a season low for points given up. Uh, they, they had two quarters over these two games where the team scored eight points. So just really showing up on defense, uh, the consistent scoring, which we mentioned is a, a massive need for them. That came through as well. Bianca Jackson uh, was topping the score sheet for both games. Morgan Jones had a had a rough shooting night against Miami, but still uh, was second to to Bianca Jackson in the game against Syracuse. And that's it's like we said, FSU is going to have to put the pedal to the metal for these last few games because they play pretty much every team that is either above them or right below them in the standings. I believe the 
the lowest ranked se- or the lowest position team they play is seventh in the ACC right now. So it's going to be some tough competition, and the Syracuse game especially was was really reassuring in my eyes that they can make a push down the stretch. Yeah, being able to go to Bianca Jackson, having her step up there as their leading role, their leading uh, woman right now is huge for this team because. Every night for the past few weeks of this season, it's felt like, okay, they're kind of passing the, passing it around and not really wanting the ball, wanting to shoot. And it feels like Bianca Jackson wants to shoot right now. She yes. wants the ball in her hands, and she's really taking advantage of it. And it's starting to show because having someone that you can consistently go to like this really does help a team because if everyone's wanting to pass it off, you're not going to be able to get a shot off in time. I know that really sounds very rudimentary, but like <laughs> it, it makes sense when you're looking at this team and when you're looking at basketball in general. Matt, has there been anything that maybe we're missing from this women's basketball team that you've seen? I think in the game against Miami, they that uh, 67-59 to 59 win, I think you know, the team really played well as a team together. They're, you know, like you said, uh, their defense has been locked down and they've been spreading the ball really well. Four players in double figures against uh, Miami. Uh, they're really, they're really spreading the ball and sharing the wealth in scoring. You know, Bianca Jackson, of course, is leading this team in scoring, but uh, I think, I think they're spreading the ball well right now. Yeah, it's, it's also nice to see that they can uh, sort of wear these two different uh, identities because you have Bianca Jackson and Morgan Jones, like we keep mentioning, that are the, the two leading scorers on this team. But then you also have nights where Valencia Myers and Sammy Puisis get hot. Like Sammy Puisis was 3 of 7 from 3. That's not great, but it's better than her her uh, average 3-point percentage on the season so far. So that's 9 points added to her, her uh, tally right there. Uh, and then just looking at the, the shooting spreads, like you see 6 for 8, 6 for 10. That's really reassuring that... Even on a night where Morgan Jones goes cold, the rest of the starters can sort of back her up. Having Sammy Puisa step up is huge for this team, just because, like, once we said, consistency is the key, and three-point consistency has not been there for her, and she was pretty darn good last season before Mm -hmm. the COVID shutdown. So being able to get her feet back under her and shooting the ball with confidence really does help this team, because being able to spread the floor out, being able to move the ball around, it's huge. So... Uh, is there anything else kind of looking forward at the rest of this roster here for or the rest of the uh, way down the lineup here? Because they got Georgia Tech on Thursday. They got number three Louisville on Sunday. And then they got Notre Dame and Wake Forest to close out their season. Is there anything that you're possibly looking for? Possibly an upset to call? I don't know. Anyone? Ooh man, I I am gonna leave the upset talk to somebody else, but just 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 continue the three point shooting, uh, the this positive trend because the team was seven of twelve against Syracuse, a, a little lower in percentage against Miami, but seven of twelve is a marked improvement over what we've seen from this team in recent games. So just if Sammy Puisas can stay hot, I know that uh, Courtney Weber is also a really important part of this three point offense. So she was uh. I believe two of three on the nights against uh, against Syracuse. So if either one of those two or maybe both of them can step up, then it's going to make their lives a lot easier taking down some of these Goliaths like Georgia Tech and Louisville. You know, uh, coming up on this Thursday, they play Florida or they play Georgia Tech again. You know, they had lost to them in January. If they can if they can beat Georgia Tech, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past Florida State to not give Louisville a run for their money. Really, you you're calling. Okay. You're I'm, start, not, I'm not calling an upset. Say, but, no, no, no. You're saying take note. Just keep an eye on that. Just put it in yeah, your. Yeah. The upset watch will be on if they beat Georgia Tech this Thursday. That's all fair. right, all right. I agree. Totally agree. All right. Well, keep an eye on that. Put that in the tickler file there for you. But keep an eye on FSU women's basketball as they kind of close out the rest of their season here. Like I said, they got Georgia Tech this uh, on Thursday, Louisville on Sunday, and then we'll pick up with some more next week once we get there. But. 
we got a lot more FSU stuff to go to. I mean, man, it feels like we've been <laughs> going for a while, but we still got a long ways to go in a short time to get there. But still, was it FSU? How are they playing on uh, against Virginia right now? Yeah, I just switched over to my stream, and I, I think Gary saw me kind of shake my head in disbelief. The, the FSU is up 20-9 to nine right now with 9-13 left in the first. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't take a peek at the box score right now, but that is impressive regardless of who is putting up the points. From what I've seen, I could just tell you their defense has just smothered Virginia right okay. now. Virginia can't even like doesn't even know what to do with the ball. They look lost. Right now, the leading scores for FSU are Raekwon Gray with five points, and he's one for one from the three-point line. <laughs> and then three. Anthony Polite is also has five points, but he does not have a three-pointer. Surprisingly, I thought that three-pointer was going to be from Polite, not yeah. from Gray. But hey, Gray's feeling it right now, and he's confident. So that's great to see from the man right there. But still. Yeah, they're up 20 to 9. I believe UVA is shooting free throws right now. Or no, is that FSU? That's FSU because they just made it. Uh, Boston Kopravitsa made it 22 to 9. There you go, man. This is this could be getting out of hand it here real quick. It was 6 to 2, right? Yeah, it was 6 yeah. to 2 once we started at the beginning of the show right now, but like we said, 22 to 9 right here. How much time is left in the first half? Uh still 9:13. I think UVA just took a timeout. 9:13, so it's about just about halfway through the first half there at the Tucker Center, but we'll keep you updated as we move through the show. And time to get into a little stick and ball talk here. Base or softball and baseball. Softball got their season underway. They started off three and one to get their season going. They got their first couple. Their first game against uh, Florida A and M canceled as FAMU had some positive tests within their own program. But they were able to play Memphis and Mizzou. I believe they played three against Mizzou and one against Memphis this weekend. So the Tigers came into town. And FSU came out three and one. They their last game they did drop to the uh, to Mizzou. I think it was yeah, it was to Mizzou that they dropped their last game too. Was at nine to five, but they did look solid this entire week. And obviously you you I'm you give them a little pass there for that last game because you're playing four games in one weekend in the course of two to three days it takes a toll on you mentally at least because you start to get a little bit worn out. You just need a little bit of a break. But still, really solid play out of Coach Alameda's team today. Exactly, yeah. And that that game against Missouri that the team did lose, obviously Missouri is ranked number 23 or 24, depending on which source you're using, but that was the second game of a doubleheader that Saturday. So the team had just played a doubleheader on Friday against these same two teams, Memphis and Mizzou. So they they kind of were, were feeling it a little bit, running on fumes. So I, I think we can all uh, excuse that loss. Uh, but definitely uh, looking at the, the stat sheet here, Elizabeth Mason was really good this weekend. Three home runs, batting 364. And actually, four of the members of the team are hitting better than 333. So, I mean, that's that's really incredible to see this early in the season. And uh, it's it's super, super exciting. Yeah, she killed it this weekend at the dish. And obviously, another one that I'd like to shout out here is uh, Josie Muffley. She had an amazing tag there. I've probably already seen it on social media. A lot of people have been tweeting it out, retweeting it, posting it on Instagram. But uh, she made an amazing tag on a throwdown to second base. She jumped up, caught the ball uh, thrown over by um, Anna Shellnut, and then reached down between her legs to tag the runner out as she slid it into second base. And also a great call by former V89 alumni uh, Arya Masudi. But yes. just great play out of the team so far this weekend. I know we did talk up a lot about Kaylin Arnold. She did have a decent weekend. She finished with a 2 ERA. 1-0 in the season right now. She's still playing pretty solid uh, softball at the moment. She had she went seven innings, three hits, two runs, 
and two earned runs. So not too bad from the transfer from last season. So Matt or Matt or Max, is, did you guys take in any of the action for softball this weekend? I did a little research on it. What were your thoughts on the team and what did you see? Well, I think the one uh, thing that stuck out to me was Elizabeth Mace and her turnaround from last year. She had four home runs in all 21 starts she had, and this weekend she had three home runs. That's just a ridiculous turnaround for me. And then also she, going into the season, they must think that she's really going to improve off of uh, what was hopefully a down year last year. She's ranked 65th in the country for all softball players, making the all-ACC preseason team as well. Yeah, impressive stuff out of her, Matt. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say, mention again, I know you had already mentioned it, Kaylin Arnold, she... She, you know, she had an all right weekend, but when she came in against, uh, I think it was Memphis, they were down 2-0, and she came in with two runners on with one out, and she just went out and went out there and put out, she, she, uh, she put down eight straight Memphis Tigers, holding them to two runs for the rest of the game. I just wanted to, if we're, since we're giving shout-outs, I wanted to give her a shout-out for being locked down there. Yeah, that really great stuff from the team. Obviously, you uh, I'm we're kind of discounting the loss there on their last game, but still, they they got a really promising season. They did uh, though announce that their game on I believe it was supposed to be tomorrow yes. has been canceled against Southern Mississippi, not due to COVID, not due to COVID. That's weird to say this, but <laughs> a game has been canceled not due to COVID. It was actually I believe a rain delay because we've been getting quite a bit of rain here in Tallahassee. It's people forget Tallahassee is a very rainy city, but. They won't be playing that game, so that means their next game, I believe, will not be till this weekend when they take on, or it'll be with Thursday because they travel up to Atlanta mm-hmm. for this ACC pod. They'll be playing three against Georgia Tech Thursday and Friday, and then three against Virginia Tech on Saturday and Sunday. So a packed weekend. I mean, we talked about being burnt out this weekend. They better be ready because this is going to be a tough stretch of softball here for these two tough ACC teams up in Atlanta. So also it's going to be really crappy weather in Atlanta mm-hmm. this weekend. I, I was taking a look up there and it's, I think Thursday it's going to be cold and rainy Friday. It's going to be like a high 40 something, a low of 20 something. So not great softball weather, not great just outdoor weather. So, <laughs> I mean, really good luck with that. If you're going to watch those games out there quick, FSU basketball update. Uh, MJ Walker has hit two back-to-back threes. Ooh, okay. Uh, FSU now leads 28 to 11. Jesus. 7.44 left in the first half. Wow. I mean, this. What is, what is going on with to Tony played. Bennett's team? Ah, jeez. I did not expect this. I mean, did you guys see the start to their game against uh, UNC on Saturday night? I did not. They dominated them right out of the gates. I think it took 11 minutes oh. for UNC to get to 10 points. It was, I mean, some of the more impressive defense and some of the most impressive cold shooting that I've seen in a long time from those two teams. So. I, I was not expecting UVA to come out like this. I mean, you, FSU is punching them in the mouth first. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure UVA leads uh, the ACC, if not all of college basketball, in the lowest uh, amount of points. I think they, like they, or at least in the ACC, they uh, allow their opponents 50, around 58 points per game, where FSU leads the ACC in scoring with around 70-something. Uh, close Close to that, but... Offense is winning right now. I was about to say, say it's gonna it's gonna be a battle of who's gonna blink first. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna find that out as we move through the rest of this night. But 
Austin, do you got anything before we head to break? Yeah, j- just something small I want to mention in regards to the basketball game. UVA already has four turnovers to FSU's one, so the defense for FSU putting in some nice work there. And the offense, w- we know that turnovers were a bit of an issue specifically against Georgia Tech, so mm-hmm. doing well to limit their mistakes there. Exactly, yeah, that is a huge thing and a big thing to keep your eye on as we move forward. But like I said, we got to go to break here, and we'll be back in just a minute. You are listening to WVA, or Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Follow me right through the chaos. This whole house is doomed. Even the big parts get consumed. Prepare a grave for Memphis. It never hurts to give thanks to the navigator. Even when he's spitting out random numbers. And we're back here live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. This is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Garrett Pudnick. As always, I'm joined by Austin Reynolds, Sebastian Angel Riano. And also as on the panel tonight, we have Matt Povtak. And calling in, we have Max Rundy. So we left off with some FSU basketball updates here. Uh, Matt is doing the three to the head motion right now. MJ and... Walker is just splashing yeah. from three right now. He's hit three in the last two minutes probably she's it's 33 to 13 i was not expecting this I don't, no one was expecting this kind of play out of fsu or virginia for that matter mm-hmm. but let's kind of pick up right where we left off we are transitioning from softball to, over to baseball and fsu baseball will be opening it up this weekend they'll be hosting unf for a three-game series at dick hauser stadium and it's going to be, was it, we got a one game, a Friday night, opening night, 6 p.m., and then a doubleheader starting at 2 p.m. on Saturday. So no Sunday action for the Knowles, but uh, Friday, Saturday, three games set will do nicely instead. One thing that they did announce, FSU, they sent out a press release this morning to announce that they will be honoring former head coach and FSU legend Mike Martin and his number 11 uh, that, he wear, that he wore when he was at FSU. 
And instead of uh, just simply retiring the number and putting it out in the outfield alongside Dick Hauser's number 34 and J.D. Drew's number 39, they're actually going to honor and kind of retire in a way. It's kind of weird. They're going to be letting one player wear the number, and it's kind of kind of rotate each year to a player that kind of embodies what the program is and the dedication both on and off the field. And so that, and for the first person to do this, the first person really other than uh, Mike Martin to wear number 11 will be sixth-year senior pitcher Chase Haney. So how do you guys feel about this? I know this, this kind of came as a surprise to a lot of us. I was not expecting it, and something that we've never really seen in sports. Yeah, it's it's another one of these tr- uh, traditions, quote-unquote, that uh, FSC was starting to implement, like the, the smashing of the rock that Norvell brought to the football program. Uh, it's it's nothing I've really seen before, but it's it's really neat once I think about it. Because if you're picking the guy that is the biggest influence, say in, in the uh, in the clubhouse, off off the court, uh, off the field, think, my my head is still in basketball because I'm just so mystified by what's going on with Virginia here. I said court, but if you're picking the <laughs> the, the biggest influence on the team, uh, then sixth year senior Chase Haney is the, the guy you have to go with. So it's a really nice way to honor one of the legends of the sports. Uh, this will seemingly continue for years to come so it's going to be a great honor for whoever gets to wear that number i'm really excited for that and i i know fsu doesn't do this they don't do a captain c or like right. hockey how they do the alternate captains with an a on the chest but this is going to be fsu's kind of way of saying this guy's our captain this guy is our leader and so that's going to be really cool to see and i think i mean it's really it's weird because like you don't see the player like especially like for Mike Martin I thought his number was gonna be sacred I thought that number would never be touched again Mm -hmm. was gonna be in the museum it was not going to see another baseball game unless it was on his back Matt was or am I wrong yeah it's definitely different it's not something you're used to seeing you know especially as a legend like Mike Martin was you wouldn't expect another player to don his number but looking at it and thinking about how Mike Martin you know preached and you know, dedication to the sport on and off the field. I actually kind of like the idea where you give the honor to a leader on the team or a someone who's really putting themselves all of their self into the sport and off the field. Uh, I kind of like the idea. It's it's different though. Yeah, it's really cool to see them do this, and it's different and it's exciting because it's going to be a thing every year. Like, who do you think is going to be eleven for this year? It's going to be kind of one of those things. So it's really be interesting to see that and I know Chase Henney he's had a a pretty solid career at FSU I know last year he finished with about a 1.29 ERA before the COVID shutdown but let's talk a little bit about this year's team and I know Chase Haney's obviously one of those players but is there any Max we can start with you is there any player that you're most excited to watch for for the season Uh, I'm gonna have to go with uh, the second year player now after last year's kind of iffy year would be uh, Parker Messick. He's a pitcher, left-handed pitcher, and wow, he had a tremendous first year and summer, it sounds like. He looks like he's going to be a very interesting person to watch. The only thing is, it looks to me that he's a relief pitcher more so than Mm -hmm. a starter, but even then, he was one of the higher prospects going into last year, and he he dominated. He fulfilled the shoes that were built up. 11.2 innings pitched. One earned run, 19 strikeouts, and just two walks. That's a tremendous season, and I hope to see better he, this year, too. He was one of my favorite guys on that team last year. I mean, FSU's bullpen was something that they kind of struggled with a lot in the past years, and now a lot of people are touting this uh, rotation, both uh, starting uh, pitching and bullpen, 
as one of the best in the country at this moment. But Parker Messick's going to be a huge part of this. I know last year his off-speed stuff, I mean, one of his curveball was one of the best that I've seen in the collegiate game in a while. I know we had some a few good ones in the past who could really spin it, but Messick has got a lot of potential, and I really am looking forward to seeing if he either goes into sophomore slump or if he can really continue that success that he had. But, uh, Austin, was there anyone that you were looking out for this season? I'm looking out for Bryce Hubbard because he came into this program last year as, as sort of a, one of the more hyped players on this team, one of the more hyped freshmen, uh, because he came in as the, the state's number four left-handed pitcher. I think he was like 49 in the overall rankings for the state of Florida. So really high, high prospect there, but he didn't really convert that hype into production on the field. He gave up a 6.48 ERA in, I think, seven appearances, three starts. So some rough numbers there. Uh, I think we can write some of that off due to being a freshman. Maybe there were some jitters in his first couple games. But hopefully with a uh, a whole year to sort of refine his craft, uh, a, a, an extended offseason to gel with the program, uh, I, I am expecting great things out of him in the rotation this year. Yeah, there's a whole line of pitchers that we can go through and just start to say, this guy, we need to see a little bit more yeah. out of him if this team wants to be in Omaha come the summer. But, Matt, was there anyone that you've seen that you want to possibly oh, oh yeah. excited I, I'm for? really excited to see how Elijah Cabell comes out this year. You know, he ended last season before COVID and everything came and canceled it all. He was on a tear. He, I think he had uh, – Seven, seventeen, or seven homers in seventeen games. Uh, he had a lot of strikeouts. We'll hope this year he can try to get past that. But the amount of power this guy was swinging with the bat at the end of the season really makes me look forward to this next year. Yeah, Cabell's one of those guys that everyone always talks about just due to his raw power, and that was something that I took note of the first time when I was at a practice where he was at BP. I didn't know who he was going into that season. I just saw a kid swinging the stick with some pure aggression and some pure power in the uh, in the cage out there, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, who is this kid?" And he really he has played some solid ball, but still strikeouts. Those yeah. that's the issue. Just gotta just gotta figure that one out. But I think another guy that we gotta look out for this season is uh, I'm gonna give you at least a pitcher and a batter here. We got. Shane Rohan, he really yeah. is a guy that we, like I said, we need to see him kind of step up and kind of settle himself down. I know he's one of the he's one of the starters that Florida State is really going to have to turn to this season, but he just hasn't had that sort of consistency. He really gives up a fair amount of hits whenever he's in. He pitched seventeen point two innings last year, gave up fifteen hits during that time, and also walked eleven. I mean, he was just giving batters free bases. That's something you can't do. But also, I mean. It's ironic. He also led the team in strikeouts with 27. So it's really boom or bust for this guy, kind of like Elijah Cabell in that way. So he's someone that we need to see kind of improve if Florida State wants to get where they want to be. But another guy who I want to see play this season again is Nander DeSatis. Oh, yeah. He's a guy, I mean, from from his freshman season two years ago, one of the more flashy defensive players that Florida State has ever had and one of the more gifted defensive players that Florida State has ever had. Problem is, he sometimes just gets a bit too lackadaisical out there and he makes a lot of errors. I know last season he had eight at uh, during the season, so that's something that really does need to settle down. Especially, I know obviously at shortstop you're going to have a lot more balls hits you. That means a greater chance of errors. 
but still just being able to find your spot there and being able to consistently read hops and understand that is a huge aspect. And obviously hitting, he's a pretty good hitter, not the best, but he really knows what to do when he's, when his number is called upon in the batter's box. But yeah, I think he's going to be a guy to keep out an eye out for this season, at least hitting wise. So we got a lot more baseball kind of coming along as we move through the rest of this season, both MLB and on the, um, FSU side of things so that's going to be a lot of fun getting to talk about them and kind of watching them progress through their season and possibly progress to Omaha who knows but uh, I think it's time to or wait actually one last thing before we move off of FSU topics for the day just because we did this last week FSU another FSU golfer has won a PGA Tour event former golfer Daniel Berger took home the title at the AT&T Pebble Beach Open uh, out there in California with a low a field low 65 on Sunday to win at 18 under. I mean, great performance by him out there. I mean, that's something he really has turned it on, and especially in that field. I know, arguably, I think that's going to be one of the weakest fields that we're going to see on the tour this season, but still being able to get it done in those conditions because I know Sunday was a lot of wind. It's really impressive. Yeah, the eagle on 18 mm-hmm. to win the game or to win the tournament was phenomenal those final two shots that chip and putt he put it i i was a loss of words yeah he's he are i you can make the argument that he right now right now he's better than brooks kepka as a former fsu golfers i mean i think there's a legitimate case be made look at how he played last season out of the uh break he played so well and he's been consistently keeping it in top 10s top 25s i mean he's playing really well it's gonna be interesting to see him go away and and it's crazy because two years ago, I think, yeah, two or in the spring, he was at risk of either losing his PGA card or not even making the Masters. I mean, he's kind of he was starting to fade away like Ricky Fowler for a minute, but he's starting to find it again. I don't hate that take, but the Blake Hive will not be happy with that one. Oh no, no, not too many people are going to be happy with this. Like, but I, because I love Blake. Or, sorry, Brooks. I know people call him Blake too, but I love Brooks too. But. I mean, Daniel, you just got to respect it when a guy's playing well and he's got a fun swing. I mean, he's not like your typical just straight up, straight down kind of golf swing. He has that. You probably heard this a ton of times watching the broadcast. He's got a little bit of tennis in his swing. So a lot of fun to watch Berger play it out there. I know another local South Florida guy like myself, but still a lot of great stuff on the PGA Tour. I mean, I'm going to continue watching as we kind of move through the rest of the season, what they're calling the, quote, super season. So a lot of fun there, but let's move over to the NBA, another pro sport. Uh, I want we. I feel like we got to start with the Western Conference. We really kind of have neglected the Western Conference in on this show. And let's start off with the Jazz. I mean, the Jazz have been the hottest team in basketball right now. They are killing it. They're at twenty-two and five record with one and a half games up on the Lakers. They took down the Miami Heat over the weekend. I know it was a pretty disappointing game for Miami, but can. Can the Jazz keep this up? I mean, it feels like one of those sprints that we kind of see from teams every now and then. They're like, oh, they're going to make a run at the Lakers here. Watch out, LeBron. And then LeBron just stomps them towards the end of the season. Yeah, that's sort of the vibe that I'm getting right now. I saw a really funny tweet uh, a couple days ago uh, when the Jazz were winning one of their games, maybe against the Heat, that compared them to the uh, the 60-win Hawks from 2015 no. with, with Kyle Korver, Damari Carroll, that, that whole yeah. cast of characters where there's no... There's no one guy that's just a superstar filling up the stat sheet. Obviously, you have Donovan Mitchell, you have Rudy Gobert, who are two of the premier players in the NBA. 
but they're not a LeBron, a Kawhi, a KD that is just going to draw all the star power, get all the attention, and make people really favor you in some of these potential postseason matchups, which I think is what a lot of people are saying right now. They don't have that one bona fide superstar, so if they were to meet up with the, the AD and LeBron Lakers or the... The, if they make it to the finals, the, the the KD, Kyrie, James Harden nets, then I just don't think they would be favored in a lot of these series. That's a very good. That's a very good point. But still, I, I Donovan. I mean, he's so good. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell is really good. And then you got, I mean, defensive stud like Rudy Gobert. I mean, it's it's a tough team to beat right now. And it's mm-hmm. I, and the thing is, like you mentioned, going up against the mega team Brooklyn Nets, but. They got a, the Jazz have a better bench than the Nets do right oh, now. Yeah, they got sure. th- that's where they have that leg up, and that's where they could possibly take over certain games because uh, Harden can't play the whole game, Durant can't play the whole game, and Kyrie can't play the whole game. And even when they're just alone on, by themselves, it might feel like they're playing a one v five at that point because their bench isn't just up to snuff at that moment. Yeah, it's a super good point to make, and obviously the Nets. If if we do get a, a hypothetical Jazz Nets finals, then the Nets are not going to be able to drop 140, 150 points on a night-to-night basis. Exactly. Th- those big three are going to get tired, and they're going to have to rely on their really lackluster bench. Well, so, especially with Rudy down there. I mean, yeah. defensive player of the year multiple times, but, I mean, he's had some issues there with spreading it around too much <laughs> recently. But either way, I mean, that's a joke for about a year ago, I guess. That I, that feels, uh, gosh, that's a year ago. Still pretty timely. Like I, We're still wearing masks, right? Yeah, very yeah. good point. Yes, very good point. But, uh, Max, do you, is there, do the Lakers... I mean, or sorry, are the Lakers out of it yet, or are they going to be? Are they going to be right there in it? So I don't, that was a really Lakers, stupid. That's a really stupid question. I don't know. That, sorry, that's a really stupid question. It is a really <laughs> stupid question. Oh my god. Nah, it's are, okay. I mean, we say this every year, where it's like, man, nervously says, surely this is the time that LeBron finally meets his match. And I thought that 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 time for yeah. me was like, I think the only time we've we've gotten that, where it's like, man, we finally got him. LeBron's a bum, and we can say it out loud. And say it without any fear of repercussion of him absolutely torching everybody in the playoffs. And that was because he was injured with a groin injury a couple yeah. of years Sorry, ago. Sorry, what I think I meant to really ask there is, is the West going to be more up for grabs than we originally thought? Oh I think God. that's a lot better question than what I said. Are the Lakers done or finished? <laughs> I think the frustrating you know, thing about... What, I was, oh, Max. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, I just... LeBron James is just unstoppable in every way. He's going to have to play almost every game this year, carry a bunch of veteran minimum, vet minimum deals to the finals, and he's going to do it very easily because he's just like that, and there's no better way to put it. He, I just don't know what to say because I truthfully was the biggest Hawks fan ever back when they had Kyle Korver <laughs> and that amazing team, and it was so disappointing to watch them just get dismantled by LeBron. Yep, it happened that year. It happened the very next year. Obviously, they didn't win six, uh, 60 games, but just getting swept by LeBron in the playoffs is not a really good feeling. But with regard to the Lakers, the, the Anthony Davis element is going to be pretty big because last night in the Lakers' loss to the Nuggets, he strained his Achilles tendon, and Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting earlier today that it's unlikely he is going to be able to rejoin the team before the end of the All-Star break. I think that's March 6th, or uh, March 10th, rather, is when the All-Star break ends, so... If he's out for a decent amount of time, then the Lakers could lose some ground in the Western Conference. They're already behind the Jazz right now, so they could fall to that 3-4 spot and then have a a rougher playoffs uh, uh, outlook for themselves than they really would like. So, uh, Matt, 
Yeah, we are talking about the Jazz and Lakers right now, but I just want to put a little, uh, shed a little light on my sleeper team in the West. The Phoenix Suns right now yes. are on fire. They're nine and one in their last ten, and are on a six-game win streak. Uh, Chris Paul, he goes to a team, and that team starts to win. It's it's a proven fact. He did it with Thunder. He brought that Thunder team, which everyone thought was not going to win more than twenty games, mm-hmm. to the playoffs. They beat. Uh, his old team, Houston, last year, and he goes to Phoenix, and Phoenix now starts winning. Phoenix, they uh, they were pretty hot in the bubble. I don't think they lost the game, but somehow didn't. The bubble. Yeah, bubble they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, the Suns are really exciting to watch. They have Devin Booker, uh, DeAndre Ayton, and Chris Paul. That's that's a trio right there that I would not want to run into in the playoffs. They also have Jay Crowder, Jay yes. Crowder from the Miami Heat last year, who played really well for my uh, them in the playoffs in the bubble. But I mean, he even. They had a great was it I remember last week they had a great win over the Bucks 125 to 124 in Phoenix. I mean, that's one of those wins that you have to get if and they also beat was it, they went back to back against two best teams in the East. They went uh 125 to 124 over the Bucks and then 120 to 111 over the Sixers. I mean, those are two really quality wins. It's not like they're doing it against some bums like your Magic. Yeah, <laughs> uncalled for. Uncalled for. But I'm, I, it's it's true. I mean, the Magic were one of the hottest teams coming out the gate, and now they have just flopped. That's the, because they've been depleted by injury. The, the injury. injury bug has stricken the Orlando Magic, and it has hit hard. They are one player away from not being able to play a game. Are they really? <laughs> with no COVID, no COVID, all injuries. You know, wow. you have Markel Fultz, you have uh, Jonathan Isaacstott, you have Aaron Gordon out, you have uh, Aminu out. It, it, the inj- There's... It's it's insane. Your, you know, they're they're one cement block, Nick Vucevic, all star player. He is playing lights out. It's sad. It's sad because he's he's playing his heart out, and the Magic are getting stomped. He's a man alone in the arena. I mean, those those uh, Isaac Gordon Fultz. Those are your three main guys, and and uh, usually those are your three main guys in Orlando. It's like if you don't if you don't have that. Then you barely you barely have enough players to field a uh, basketball team. Yeah, it's bad when Mo Bamba is starting to get minutes <laughs> for the Magic. There, I mean, he is not a guy you want to see coming on the court. I'd, uh, give me Taco Fall ten times out of ten, but Mo Bamba, <laughs> sheesh. <laughs> was it was it fresh? Was it twenty seventeen? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, the Magic have been struggling. I mean, there's a few other teams here and there. Is there any uh, Max? Has there been any team that you've uh, been that's caught your eye? Kind of like how. The Suns have caught uh, Matt's eye over here. I'll say, recently, this team is playing their hearts out, and with two of their best players, two of their starters, one of them is an all-star contender and hasn't played in a month. The Portland Trailblazers, as much as I really don't think anyone's coming out of the West except for the Lakers, this team is good. This team is the Jazz, but better star talent and deeper bench, in my opinion. And they don't have an overpaid center. It's just, this team's winning games, and they're winning games with a lot less players than they should have right now. And I, I wouldn't want to face them. I'll say that. I can definitely agree with that because you mentioned that uh, CJ McCollum has not been there. Um, I think it's Gary Trent Jr. that's had to sort of sort into that starting shooting guard role. He's been doing a really good job. Uh, he was three of eight from three point range last night, so not not great, but just. He's been sort of replicating his his bubble numbers uh, to, to some extent because he was electric in the bubble and he's been really filling that that hole left by C.J. McCollum. Uh, so that's really good to see from a team that is uh, 
down a couple players and still, I believe they're like top four, top five in the East or the, the West right now. Anthony Sivens has been another player who stepped up for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they still have uh, the one of their stars, Nurkic, is, as well has been out for, I think, most of the season. Um, you know, and, and it's just, it's really da- Damian Lord's phenomenal player. And he gets disrespected a lot because he stays with this small market team. He ne- he needs to be respected as one of the, if not the best point guard in the league, one of the best point guards in the league. I don't think that's even really a valid reason to like flame him because he he came out a couple of days ago and said like his his way of living just does not fit with him wanting to join a super team. He wants to stay loyal to Portland. Um, I love that. Yeah, like I, I really respect that. So I, I don't get how people could frown upon that. Truly commendable stuff yeah. there. But yeah, so um, is there, and I mean, here, one last thing about the NBA. I know uh, we mentioned, or I think you mentioned it, uh, All-Star break is coming up quickly. Yeah. I, are you guys in on them doing the All-Star game this no. year? I mean, it's kind of, it's weird. We, every other league has skipped out on an All-Star game and the NBA has decided to go forward with it. Obviously, I believe it'll be in Atlanta it this will. year and there might be fans for it. Is that true? I think the league was talking about uh, 1,200 to 1,500 fans, and that's going to be all either vaccinated healthcare workers or I believe uh, students and staff, students and staff from HBCUs in the area. So, uh, fitting for the NBA's sort of uh, sort of vibe, uh, but there, it's it's not going to be a ticketed event for fans. No, but that it's still going. to I think it's just a weird kind of decision to make. Hey, yes. let's let's bring everyone in the league together for a weekend. I mean. They say to cut down on super spreader events. This kind of seems like a super spreader event. Yeah, and, and just discounting the game itself, the league came out and said, or I think Woj said that it was being discussed that players who are not part of the All-Star game can still travel throughout the United States throughout the break. They can go to whatever state. They can go to some of the U.S. territories. Like That is not really matching the optics of a league that is trying to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. I, yeah, that, I think that's a bit ridiculous. That seems a bit backwards on that. Yeah, especially. I I think it's just a matter of the NBA trying to maintain revenues open. Yep. Um, other leagues have have done similar, have had similar efforts where they're either opening up new revenue streams, such as uh, hockey with the realignment that they had to do, the NHL had to do, in its oh. league in order to get everybody to play. You know, they had to first uh, separate all the Canadians and put them in one big uh, division. Uh, they moved uh, Tampa, Florida, and Carolina over to the Central to let the North the northeastern teams play in in divisions and a division by themselves, and then everybody out west. Right? It's the um, well, and it, then it's it, the oof. same thing. And and when they did that, sorry, I'm I'm, I'm no, almost done. When they did that, they they sponsored all of yeah. their uh, all of these divisions. Oh, so yeah. like you know the Can- it's like the Canadian Scotiabank division, uh, the the Discover Central. Um, the I think it's the TD East or something so like it's that. It's awful. Like I mean, like I mean, I understand why they're yeah, trying to get it, back it's on just revenue. Means, but... I just think that um, that that's the reasoning behind having an All Star game because the uh, the NBA All Star game and more importantly the dunk contest are kind of the centerpiece of you know the halfway point that we call mm-hmm. the All Star break uh, through the season. The I think they, it boils I think, down to. I don't think it boils down to optics so much as it is as it is finances. The the NBA has not really cared about fi- uh, optics. No. If they oh, cared yeah. about optics, we would have seen it like a. Uh, we would have seen like bubbles or something like that. What they, What I think would have maybe been a better opportunity for the NBA instead of doing an All Star game, like if they didn't want to say, "Hey, let's the players are tired, let's give them a little bit of a break, do whatever," just 
take a week off. I mean, do what you would do during, uh, do like what the NHL usually did during uh, the Olympics when the players would have to go there. Some players just got a couple weeks off and that was it. And you give them some rest time because obviously there are going to be some teams that are complaining that like the Lakers and the Heat where they had a very minimal rest time between end of season and start of next season. But I I don't know. I mean, a lot bringing of, everyone together is kind of an iffy subject. Yeah. A lot of the NBA's decision making this this year has been based off of you know trying to sustain or at mm-hmm. least survive through, um, like let's call it like chapter two of the pandemic, which is the new the new seasons that are being played. Mm-hmm. Didn't really affect the NFL as much because you know the whole thing kicked off in the off season for them. But um, you know the NHL had to do something similar where everybody went to Canada. Uh, the NBA had their bubble, obviously. Now that we're in Chapter Two, we need to find like the leagues are going. We need to find different uh, revenue stream- streams or find ways of maintaining them. It's why you're seeing so many alt jersey games instead of the straight up, uh, you know, the home and away jerseys. For example, for Orlando, which are the the blue and whites, right? Now you're seeing blue and oranges because uh, Nike needs to sell more jerseys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of vice versa for heat. Yeah, um, it's not. It, they're ju- they're just trying to find ways to to stay afloat. I'm not sympathetic, honestly, when it comes to the idea of an all star game. But you have contractual obligations with broadcasters, and the NBA now more than ever needs that money. I agree. And just to, to focus on the all star game a little bit, like let's remember these are all the, the the best players. So if by by some chance one player finds himself at Magic City. Uh, on, on the night before the All Star Game, because that I would be shocked. Yeah, thank like, the well, Lord Lou ain't I there. I know. Shocked. I, 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 I would be shocked as well. But Lou Williams managed to do it and got got back into the bubble. Obviously, he went from Orlando to Atlanta. He had he had to sit for a couple of games before that. But I mean, it still happens. So like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So if one of these players finds his way into Magic City, brings the brings the the illness into the All Star setting, then that really jeopardizes a lot of the big ticket players in the nba so i, I just like worst case scenario this could be awful for revenue yeah. This, oh yeah. you know so what bad. gary like i didn't even think about that like you, you know somebody oh sneaking out from atlanta to go to a different part of atlanta is like one thing right but sneaking out of like a like i don't know what you guys but i i know disney's a pretty secure place they got cameras everywhere they got cameras everywhere. Disney security sure isn't well, like well, really was, police, but like they're still like you know. Lou said he went up for was it a family event, a and then oh. he, it was a he, that's he had like a verified reason to go up there. But then on yeah. one of his nights where he wasn't with his family, he's like, oh, he got wing cravings. I'm gonna yeah. go with Jack. I'm gonna with Jack, and we're gonna go get some wings. The, the lemon pepper was too good to pass up. I mean, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have to give it a try when I'm in Atlanta next. <laughs> Who knows? But. I saw. Remember when we all saw that screenshot where you're all kind of collectively like, those are kind of small wings, but uh, but okay, I guess they they look good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, allegedly the best in the city, but yeah. I mean, is there anything else that we're missing, NBA, Matt, Max, anything? Because I know we're kind of running uh, on the wall here. One last point, like, to kind of cap off my, my argument, is that, like, think about this, guys. The beginning of the season was determined on whether or not they would play Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they didn't play Christmas, they would, uh, like, both the teams and the players would lose a significant portion of the revenue that they could, uh, that they would get both from TV and just... Um, just a contractual obligations, right? And they decided, okay, even though it's an incredibly short off season, only two months in length, we're going to go through with this. We're going to get started right now. The NBA has, from the very beginning this season, been like, okay, how do we sustain? How do we sustain? How do we sustain? Uh, it's not that it's not saying that COVID safety is a secondary priority, even though there's feels like you know, remember KD a couple of weeks ago? It it feels like there's a bit of pomp and circumstance when it comes to the mm-hmm. virus. I'm not saying it's not a real concern. I'm not saying it's a legitimate thing, but um, 
they're, they're, your priorities are in a, in a different order at different points in the season from what it looks like the front off and the NBA front office has in mind. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like there have been some evolutions to the COVID guidelines, like limiting the amount of interaction that players from different teams can have pregame. Like that's that's the sort of optics that I was talking about, like making changes that aren't really going to be that impactful in the long run because guys are posting up on each other, hitting each other with their shoulders for 48 minutes of game time. So just stuff like that, uh, changes like that to the protocols, I don't think are really effective but it, th that's what i was getting at with the optics piece but it, it is uh, first and foremost always has been about revenue so I, I completely agree with you there yeah for sure it's yeah it's all about the money that's how it always goes greed is good that's what they all yes. believe so i mean matt max like i said is there anything else that we may have missed that we need to tack on out here right at the end uh, uh you got it max go ahead the all-star weekend is why i ever got into basketball to begin with and now it's my favorite sport and sporting event I'll pay to watch it. Fair enough. You got a one loyal fan there, Mr. Silver. <laughs> um, I will say I'm a fan of the All-Star game, or I'm a fan of the All-Star game contest more than the game itself, to mm -hmm. be honest. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to end with saying that Nick Vucevic is a top three center in this NBA. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> bold take. All right. Inter not, interesting. Not, not a bold take at all. He, he's, he's just trying to get on Twitter. Very bold take. Interesting. Well, okay. Well, we'll have to keep up on watch tracking that one as we move throughout the rest of this NBA season. But we thank you for listening to this episode of Tomahawk Talk. I know we're running up right on that eight o'clock hour. There, FSU is picking up just at the end. Of, was that the end of the half, or is the start yeah, of the new half? Yeah, start of the second this half. This is the start of the second half of 45-25. So wow. We're gonna, we're gonna have to hustle home to watch that one. But yeah, we got a lot of great FSU stuff coming up next week. Obviously, we'll have FSU men's, uh, uh, sorry, FSU men's and women's basketball recap from their weeks. FSU softball and baseball recaps from their weekends. And a lot, lot more sports. I mean, we even didn't get, we didn't even get to NHL. <laughs> we, we, we said we were going to, like the two most neglected sports. Maybe next week, international soccer and hockey. Like, well, the, the, let's be honest. This week of the Champions League wasn't as interesting as possibly next weekend. I mean, next I guess, week, because I mean, you got, you got Liverpool, Leipzig. I know that's... Liverpool's going through a little bit of a weird situation. Then you got uh, Juventus and Porto, and then Barcelona, PSG. So those are really the top four, three games of that week there, but. Yeah, we'll talk we'll talk about those soon. Don't worry, don't you worry. But like I said, for myself, for Sebastian, for Austin, for Matt, for Max, and for Scott Run the Twitter, uh, thank you for listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Uh, new release might be up next. I, I, I it's think it's still probably not. I'm not probably seeing not. anybody breaking down our, our doors right now. <laughs> I see. Uh, but one last thing though, R.I.P. Vincent Jackson. Yes. R.I.P. Yes, Vincent Jackson. That is crazy. That's all. Sad stuff. But 100%. yeah. So yeah, we'll see y'all next week, 7 p.m. Same time, same place.